Hey, Tiana. Hey, Erica. Do you remember the time we cut cake with floss by the tower? Or the time we all held hands and walked in our pajamas down Speedway at 10 p.m.? Yes. You know, it's crazy that we've been in OGs for almost two years, but it sees little traditions that stick in my head the most. I'm Erica Lee. I'm Tiana Woodard. And this is The Pulp from UT Austin's Texas Orange Jackets. Okay. <laughs> super lucky to have three OJ alumni and actives here for our first episode of The Pulp, our new podcast. And for this episode, we're going to be focusing on tradition. So how tradition has changed, stayed the same, and everything in between in our organization's 97 years. And there's a lot to talk about. But before we get into that, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. So um, Lynn, do you want to start with the introduction since you're an active right now? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. My name's Lynn Wynn. My pronouns are she, they. I am a fourth year undergraduate at UT studying women's and gender studies and advertising. And I'm the current 2019 or wait, 2020 through 21 um, active president for Texas Orange Jackets. And I'll go ahead and pass the baton on to um, Crystal. Hi everyone, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. My name is Crystal Nora. I was a former Orange Jacket president from 2015 to 2016 and was in the class of 2014. I am currently a resident internal medicine and pediatrics physician at Johns Hopkins. And I'll pass it off to Judy. Hi, I'm Judy Blanton. Um, I am. I was the Orange Jacket president in I think 19... 62. I uh, was tapped in my junior year and was president in my, my senior year. And I was a plan two major. Uh, I went straight through and got my PhD at the University of Texas and uh, practiced as an organizational psychologist as, when I was an academic and many other things along the way. Uh, I'm now partially retired, but I'm still working, uh, doing consulting in organizational um, coaching and change. It's great. I'm really happy that all of you are here. Um, I know that Erica, like Kayla and I are all so grateful for all your participation. And so I guess like the first thing I wanted to get into just regarding traditions is that um, I feel like as Orange Jackets, like especially with an organization that's been around for such a long time that um, we've like been an organization at really pivotal moments in history. Like for example, um, Judy, you were there during integration and a lot of like civil rights movement action, like Lynn was here or is here during like the sexual misconduct and all the stuff going on right now. And Crystal just as like being a president and just being a part of like an, um, an organization that's so rooted in tradition and everything regarding the eyes right now. And I guess like we just wanted to start with like what does it really take or what is the experience like, I guess, like leading an organization like OJ's during these times of social change? And um, I guess like speaking of that, like Judy, I wanted to ask, I guess, like what traditions um, were in place at your time during Orange Jackets in the 60s? In the, the 60s was a very exciting time at the university. Uh, when I was there, um, 
our speakers, I think the year I was there, we included Martin Luther King and um, uh, Betty Friedan. So the, both integration and the women's movement were both big uh, issues uh, during my tenure. Um, Orange Jacket was not so much an activist organization at that time, it really was more of an honorary. Uh, so the work was more individual. We didn't do as many things as a group. When we tapped people, we got in a line. So you would go to the, the dorm, the sorority house, wherever people were, and then you would get in a line and everybody would put their hands on the other person's shoulder. And then you would sort of march march along and down the halls and people would begin to follow you because they, they knew something was going to be uh, happening and tapping. And so you would go around and sometimes, you know, into the dorm rooms and uh, people would be surprised. People were not notified, people had not applied. So it was uh, typically a big surprise uh, when people were tapped and so that was fun. Um, but I think some of the traditions are newer inventions as far as being on the field, which I think now is a, holds a different meaning. Um, but being on the field was something that, you know, people were really excited about, was a tradition that we did. One of my favorites, honestly, was the whole tap-in process. And so being able to stand by Barbara Jordan and take your pictures as, you know, come, coming into the organization. And then when you finally got your vest, like being able to take another picture next to Barbara Jordan. So I think that was, two of those are like newer innovations or traditions rather that I was really excited about. And then things that were happening on campus while I was there, it was the second round of Fisher versus UT. Um, we had just started to have more conversations about concealed weapons on campus. It was a very interesting time to be on campus with some of those changes going on, but just to give some context to when I was president. Happy to kind of answer those questions as well. Um, right now, obviously we're in a pandemic and that's shaped a lot of our traditions. Um, I guess I'll start like COVID has really interrogated and really unearthed a lot of the sort of social systems that we often rely on. Um, and we've really seen how that's impacted people's access to digital resources and things like that. Um, and so one thing that we're really striving to do is figure out how we can meet each individual's needs. Um, when it comes to resources personally, like I remember at one of our earlier exec meetings, like, you know, being able to use funds to help out with people's, um, like getting people hot, people's like hotspots and like things like that. Um, I think it sounds so like cheesy maybe, but like being able to be there for each other and focus and rely on collectivity as a tradition in and of its, um, I feel like maybe we're moving towards that direction. And I think, you know, when it comes to events and traditions like tap in, um, you know, how do we transition that as meaningfully as we can in a digital setting um, and for, that like surprise element I remember after you know now taps go through that application process and that interview process and then we kind of added Kathy um, our current VPM and I we wanted to send out an email to all of the accepted tap members and we were basically like Hi everyone, um, something's happened. We need to call you in for a meeting tonight at 9 p.m. via Zoom. Here's the link. Um, we have concerns about your application that we wanna clear up with you. And 
it's funny because Kathy realized after sending that, that like maybe the first initial email was a little too um, mean and surprising and like hazing adjacent. So she actually sent a follow-up email and was like, oh, um, because some concerns have been raised, we just want to clarify that like, actually um, it's totally, you know, it's just a slight concern. It's about logistics and everything like that. And then there was a third email sent because someone had a test that was fit that didn't end until 15 minutes after the original time. So um, we were really surprised, but like everyone was surprised when every, like all 23 like logged in and see like, 30 faces staring back at them on the Zoom screen shouting like, surprise, like, welcome. You're like tapped in. Um, so that was really warm and like a big surprise. And, you know, if that, you know, how do we maintain tr traditions and like the meaning of it and the significance of it? I mean, that's something we want to do. And like Ella had an Instagram account, you know, like our mascot had an Instagram account. Um, yeah, and I think, I think also OJs were very integral to the process of like fighting or like protesting against sexual misconduct committed by faculty, you know, pr prior to um, prior to like COVID and everything. And so, I mean, I was a tap back then, um, not necessarily president, but like the president before me, Angela Kang really took the initiative to shape OJ's organization and that's something that Angela has passed on to me. So again, we see this idea of like collectivity like passed around and it was really, it really set the direction for OJs, I think, to, you know, show up at that first protest at the UT Tower. We have this historical affiliation with like in proximity to administration and power at this university and so many OJs show up, like, what does that mean? And I feel like it's not just us leading, but it's like every single individual OJ being there at those protests, leading collectively. I think there's a couple of things that I can say in response to that. And one, just going back to the idea of being tapped in, I still remember tapping in Alejandrina in class, like, but just being able to like go and like, just physically say like, congratulations, like you're in the organization, um, to be able to go up in front of someone's class and be like, wow, like you made it and your peers get to acknowledge this really great accomplishment. It was like always a really special moment. And so I am so glad to hear that even in the age of Zoom calls, uh, the you know new taps weren't so fatigued by being like, oh my goodness, another call. Um, and I honestly don't know how I would have responded if a bunch of people started yelling at me <laughs> when I entered a Zoom. Um, but I think it would have been a lot more exciting than what normal Zoom meetings are like. Um, but I think that the direction that Orange Jackets has gone and really trying to say, hey, we've actually got a good amount of power that the you know, people who belong to this organization are here because they've established themselves as people who care deeply about this community um, as a larger UT community and have also found ways to really invest themselves in really particular parts of community. And for me, that was the Multicultural Engagement Center and the orange jackets that I looked up to were also in the MEC. And so seeing someone who also wore the vest, but who's also, you know, just at the Cesar Chavez, you know, statue protesting, you know, party that had happened, it was encouraging because it was saying that orange jackets weren't afraid individually to step into these roles where they were called to think, okay, how can I use my voice, my status, and my power um, to make a difference on campus? And so it's really encouraging to see that it's not just individual orange jackets, but it's the organization now as a whole saying, 
hey, we've actually got this responsibility to use our power to do more to really impact those who are marginalized on our campus. And so that's just been something that I, looking, you know, through Facebook and Instagram and just talking to some old friends on campus have just been really, um, it's been really wonderful to see from the organization now. I think that one concern is always shared when making statements or organizational or systemic changes is this idea of like confronting and grappling with pushback um, for, or like in my experience, like going on two years, I feel like there internally, there hasn't really been pushback. I feel like there's always been some sort of organiz- organization wide rally um, across everyone, whether it be rallying around um, this culture of sexual misconduct or whether it be working with mutual aid initiatives and helping each other out. Um, I feel like we never experienced pushback, but one thing that we did really have to confront with is making, being as intentional and dedicated in our service to other communities as much as possible. And when we harm the communities that we serve, whether unintentionally or not, like, how do we reckon with that and try to make the necessary amends? But I was wondering if in your experiences, if y'all ever experienced any sort of pushback or any sort of need to like make amends to communities that may have been harmed. I mean, there was a lot of other more exciting uh, civil rights things going on at that time. We had a bomb thrown and and so on, but, uh, I don't recall that, but I, I know that this was, uh, we, we did this intentionally. Uh, the year before, and I was not um, an orange jacket, there was a woman in the student council who really deserved to be uh, an African-American woman who really deserved to be in orange jackets and I, I, she was not. And so, uh, you know, we deliberately looked for uh, someone that was, you know, appropriate and deserving, and it wasn't that hard. And we, we did uh, bring in Donna, and she fit in very well. And I, again, I don't recall, um, you know, much difficulty there. But I, I will say, I will say, one of the things I've learned as an organizational psychologist is that change is hard, <laughs> and uh, you don't know the um, unintended consequences. And when I try to work on change, we have to remember it it operates on three levels. There is the informational level where you get it cognitively, you know, you understand why the change has to be made and it's all a nice logical thing, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, make people change. And then um, then, uh, there is the emotional level that has to do with the resistance and motivation and drawing people in and how do you, you know, build the... uh, uh, in, in motivation and deal with the resistance. And finally, there is a behavioral event because you actually have to have the skills to change, like you're trying to change some kind of computer system. And if they don't know how to work it effectively, you know, they can be bought in and be motivated, but they, they have to have the skills. So, uh, you know, to make it simple, we talk about head, heart, and hands. And, and I, I think that we sort of did that intuitively, but I think it's good to have that kind of language to, to think about it whenever you're planning one kind of change there. And uh, I think that's what we did in at Texas when we were in, in the integration movement, because just kind of getting it logically. So there was a lot of uh, logical you know, persuasion that went on, but also we had to really work in terms of uh, clear behavioral changes and, and changing systems, not just changing the individual. 
I think also when you are in orange jackets, you're handed this organization, at least I felt like when I was president, handed this organization that has this long history before you. And everyone has an idea of what an orange jacket is, who the kind of people are drawn to orange jackets, what the organization is supposed to do. Um, and sometimes it can feel really hard to change that. And it's hard to change that because you have to get, um, just as you said, Judy, you have to get your own members involved and get them engaged. And I think sometimes that can be the easier part. And then you have to look back at all the orange jackets of the past and be like, are they going to be upset that I have changed something major within this organization? And the changes that happened during my tenure as president were a lot smaller. There were just newer traditions that had popped up within the 10 or 15 years that we've decided to, to rearrange. So didn't really get a lot of pushback as far as older members of the organization or people really around campus. But I will say to the point Lynn you made of being more intentional with our service. One thing that I, I loved that our service chair V did was this idea of scholarship circles. And I'm not sure if it still exists, um, but it's the idea that we don't just serve a community without knowing what that community has gone through, what that community has been through. So if we're going to volunteer at a farm, it's important for us to really think about what does food injustice and environmental racism look like within our own community? If we're going to be working with young girls and women who have been through the foster care system or have been touched by the violence of prison systems, well then do we really know how those structures exist in our own backyard? And are we cognizant of that? And are we taking the time to really reflect on that service? And so that's something that I know that I've taken into my own life, just kind of past the orange jacket experience being like, it's not just enough for me to serve. I really have to understand the community that I'm serving and why is it that there's such a need here that you know I need to step in and try to fill. Um, but that's just been something that I think has been a positive addition to Orange Jackets. And so I think it's hard sometimes when you're really changing these major things within the organization, but occasionally get opportunities to kind of inject some new life into the organization, which is also a great way to establish new traditions. And I think that idea of intention also bleeds internally as well. Like, are we intentionally, are we, are we treating each other and also our members with intention that is genuine? And that, that sounds very broad, but I do also want to ground it with an example, like kind of tying and going back to Judy's um, points about organizational um, like psychology, like the hand, heart, and what was the third one? I wrote it down. But... The head, the hands, and the heart. Yes, the head, hands, and the heart. Like I loved that three-tiered level, and that is something I, I will definitely like move forward with, but you know, when it came to us opening membership and re rethinking what the gender binary is, and opening and being inclusive to also gender non-conforming individuals. I think we were there with the information to some extent, like the whole head part, but I think where we fell short is the um, heart and the hands. Um, the first year or so kind of preceded my involvement with OJs, but from what I've heard, like, you know, we began to accept gender non-conforming individuals, but without informing or teaching our own internal members, you know, how to also rethink the gender binary and how to kind of translate 
the inclusion of gender non-conforming individuals into a really holistically inclusive environment because you know we can we can have all of these workshops about gender and like pronouns but then at the end of the day are the conversations we're having are they still focused on you know heteronormative and cisnormative environments are the conversations we're having and the dress even the dress codes that we have are they still oriented towards you know like a cisgender woman um and that is really we're still having those conversations and like sometimes I, I I I'm like sitting in zoom socials and stuff and I feel like sometimes the conversation is like heading towards a direction where it could be inclusive exclusive or like where someone who is gender non-conforming couldn't necessarily contribute and it's really about redirecting and like rebuilding our direction towards being holistically um so that I was really thinking about the whole informational emotional and um the behavioral like aspects to what change in an organization really looks like so I really appreciate that Judy and it really also has to do with our assumptions because it may just seem well that's the right thing to do <laughs> it's so obvious but unfortunately it's not obvious to everybody else so I think we have to think you know larger outside of our little group and that is one of the problems because I've lived in academia and it can be a little world and and it's there it's you know very closed world and people think alike and have assumptions that are similar but when you get, deal with a larger community uh, it may be something that is not necessarily assumed by everyone so we I think that that consciousness and and thinking as broadly as we can is very important I like this idea of what it means to be an inclusive organization because our recruitment strategy, right, is to try to recruit from all parts of the 40 acres and to get all types of people to be drawn into the organization. But I remember feeling to someone who was coming into the organization that there were a couple of black orange jackets that I just looked up to, like Chelsea Jones, Jordan Matoire, like those are the people that I wanted to be like, but they also weren't reflective of what the orange, like the organization looked like as a whole. And I felt like, ooh, I feel like a little bit out of place. I'm not in a sorority. I'm not in like plan two. I'm not in BH, you know, business owners, you know, so I'm not in these like typical like OJ organizations. Is this a place where I can belong? And even being in the organization, like the people that I found myself closest to were the people that I connected through the MEC. And really thinking about during my tenure as president, is Orange Jackets a place where you truly feel like you can be friends with anyone in the organization or is it a place where you put on the vest, you do a hosting with someone and then you go home and never really make any meaningful connection with them? And it's hard. It's hard to try to make friends across difference. It's hard to get people all on the same page about certain things. But I think when you do, and it's been proven, but I think what the organization is up to now, you can really have some positive impacts. And I think what's also great is that you have a lot of people in Orange Jackets who like to push back. And I don't know if either of y'all had faced this in, as being president, just with even the smallest things. You'll sometimes have Orange Jackets be like, mm, is that really like what we want to do as an organization? And while it can be difficult as a president to internalize or try not to internalize all of those things, I think it's also good because it keeps us accountable. And it lets us know, okay, there are Orange Jackets here who really invested in this experience and this process. And all right, am I, am I making the best decision for this organization? Am I pushing this organization in a way that I think it really deserves to you know, be moved? And so 
I think it's great that we have such a diverse group of individuals in the organization. I think it's difficult sometimes for everyone to feel like they truly have a home within the organization. Um, but I think we have our guiding star of really wanting to think what will we do for Texas and also what will we do for each other? And as long as we have that, I think we are moving in the right direction. And again, I'm just I'm just here to be like the current actives. Y'all are rock stars. Everything I'll do. I'm just like, wow, like I wish we could have done that back then. Um, so know that you definitely have a cheering squad um, for some old orange jackets. And I think the makeup of the selection committee was incredibly important because you needed to have people who were, one, had the time. We can admit that going through selection, it's a lot. It's a lot that we ask applicants to to give to the organization. And so we want to do our due diligence and making sure that we have the time to really read through it. And two, you need to have people who are willing to see experiences as much more than a numerical um, impact. And that was something that I was really proud of, like the selection committee that came before me and the selection committee that I um, was part of during my tenure as president and kind of the years past was trying to think, what are these experiences that aren't traditional traditional orange jacket experiences, and I have like massive air quotes around that, um, but that are still really important and valuable. For example, there are a lot, of, there's a lot of really wonderful pageants that happen, um, especially in the Black community. A lot of Greek um, organizations host pageants, and there are a lot of women who participate in those pageants who do a lot of work um, and that kind of experience doesn't necessarily look like I was a president of an organization that like was a pre-med organization that led this many service hours or this many experiences, but that experience as part of being in a pageant was still really meaningful and it meant something specifically to being in the Black community. And so I think it was having people in the selection committee who could say, does this experience make sense to me? Is it something that I'm familiar with? And if it's something that I'm not familiar with, what does it mean to that individual? And what does it mean to the community that they're serving? Because I think if we continue to use the same type of metrics we've always used as far as what success looks like, and what does it mean to be a typical quote unquote orange jackets, you do run the risk of getting a lot of people who just do the same exact thing. And I think the best part of orange jackets is sitting in a group of people who have done things that are just beyond your imagination. Like someone who's a phenomenal artist, someone who can play music like no one's business, someone who's really dedicated in the school of social work. Like that's the brilliance and beauty of Orange Jackets is when you can get that group of people who have just done fantastic things across campus. But that also requires that your selection committee recognizes the brilliance and what they have to offer, even if it is an experience that they're necessarily familiar with. Hard agree on all of what was just said and even to expand it a little bit more like Kathy, um, our VM, I and our executive member or executive members and also just membership overall, we really try to recognize experiences with service leadership, um, scholarship and community that were outside of the general definition of, for example, service, you know, like, um, I remember at one info session, we talked about, you know, maybe you don't have the biggest resume filled with, like, I volunteered at a soup kitchen, like, every single week, like, I volunteered at, like, the homeless shelter every single week, because sometimes, you know, we wanted to expand it. It's, like, service is, an act of love and care for a certain community that you feel aligned with. And for some people, 
you know, that is taking care of your family and that is all the bandwidth you have. And that is totally okay. We said that in an info session and I was so happy like during the app reading process to see like five people list under service or leadership. I take care of my family. Like I do the groceries or like I do the dishes for like, I take care of my mom who is like, you know, like I think those experiences are valid or like for leadership, you know, if that is working, you know, at a fast food restaurant and that is all the bandwidth you have, like that is totally valid. Um, So we tried to recognize and rethink even the very concepts or the very images of like these tenants. And that is something we hoped that we also infused and encouraged all of the members reading apps to discuss and speaking to your point about numerical values, I think one really big change um, is the kind of dissolvement. I don't know if that's a word, but like we got rid of the GPA. I mean, one, because we are literally in a pandemic and there are so many things that um, are so much more important to a lot of people right now beyond just like academic jobs and you never know what's happening with someone's life but on top of that overall like just the idea of a GPA defining someone's scholarship when really scholarship is how much you value learning and always being curious about something no matter what that be like it could be about social work it could be about engineering I tried to find an engineering project but I really don't know I would the rockets rocket building like you know um So yeah, I I think we're still trying to move towards that. It's really about, you know, yeah, we're still trying to rethink and relearn those concepts on our own. This is, I think this is very important because I do, do you have a value statement? I don't know what your criteria are, but I think, you know, even things like scholarship, these are just like flat words and having a deep discussion uh, probably each year or uh, you know, are writing this out in more detail about what that means. Uh, what, one of my memories of being a, you know, a bright-eyed, wishy-hit Frenchman, you know, uh, all ready to, to learn and study hard. And one of my uh, wonderful professors said, oh, I don't trust people who make all A's. He says, they have no uh, discrimination. <laughs> he said, I would prefer someone who like fell in love with Russian literature and stopped everything and and read Russian literature for a whole semester. And I mean, this was so shocking to me, but it was it was just wonderful because it really was not just meeting someone's expectation, it was really being a scholar and, and understanding that kind of difference and what it was to learn as opposed to, you know, just, you know, fill out the blanks and, and uh, get the get the grades. But I think those discussions, again, when, you, when you're building any kind of organization, it's very important to get clear about the culture and then what, what are your values. And I think, you know, that, that we can have values that are broad, that, that go across the whole campus, but I think we have to be clear about those and, and, how, and then how do we assess them. So it's, you know, we, we've got two levels is one is, is getting clear about the values and then you're tools about how are we going to measure uh, each of these things and how is our selection committee going to, you know, how are they going to rank people and, uh, you know, how they, how, what kind of system do we have? So I, I think doing it, I, I really think it's great having people apply, although there are a lot of great people who are too shy to apply. I mean, this is always an, 
an issue, but I, so I hope you're encouraging people that you know to do that and, and have a place for creativity in the application uh, so that people can have you know, some kind of quirky thing that they do that we didn't think to put on the application. I think that's absolutely perfect. Um, the idea that we don't just think of our, our tenets as flat words, but really something that's alive within our organization and saying that service isn't just about, I rag on pre-med organizations just because I, I was a pre-med. Um, so I feel like I have access to really be like, yes, pre-med organizations, sometimes we just do service because we feel like we have to do service and being like, you can be of service to others who are very in close proximity to you. And it doesn't necessarily look great on a CV, but it's incredible, it's incredibly meaningful to you. Or a scholarship isn't just about, okay, did I show up to my 8 a.m. OCHEM class like all the time? Or was I like in the lab because I had this project and I'm super excited about it and I got to present it and that's what you know gets me really excited. And so that may not necessarily be reflected in my GPA, but it's that type of curiosity. Is that something, that's the kind of energy that you want within your organization. And so I love the idea that our tenants are not just flat ideas, but I also hear that Orange Jackets has a new tenant. I don't know, Lynn, if you could tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have a new tenant. I'm, I'm really, I'm like trying to pull up the, like the document right now because I'm like trying to get the exact wording. But um, our new tenant is community, and we, when we talk about community, we are kind of looking towards it as the foundational tenet that builds unwavering solidarity alongside all movements committed to change for the common good. And we really wanted, we, we got a lot of questions, I guess, from both internally and externally about why we added this, you know, idea of community. And I really like to say personally, like I feel like we added community formally after after I felt community or after community was really built, I remember talking to past actives who are now alumni and um, we were also a friend, like friends of basically OJs from also like 2013, I believe, like they were really ecstatic about the idea of adding community because they felt like that was never really like felt internally. Um, but also just, I think we wanted to really put it into words and really understand that service leadership and scholarship cannot exist if they are not in tune and aligned and done all towards community. Whether that could be, you know, your family, that could be, um, I feel like particularly in community with the queer community. Um, it could be like anything. It could be OJs and I really love moving forward with that being again, this idea of intention, like showing up. Um, but yeah, welcome to welcome community to the table as our fourth tenant. Um, it was really important to really put that into words and remember that we cannot, you know, we can't move forward um, without community. Well, I would say I'm I'm so impressed with the kinds of progress that's been made from when I was in an orange jacket. I think that there's a lot more intentionality. I think there's a lot more um, focus on on service and and clarity about the kind of service. So I think there's a lot more internal thinking uh, about it. So I would in, encourage 
you to keep moving that Orange Jackets has a wonderful tradition, but it's not a, a static tradition. And, and I think that, you know, we need to keep growing as the time changes. And, and I'm excited about what you folks are doing. And, and I hope in the next few TAP classes will uh, continue that tradition. Tradition of change. <laughs> I definitely need to take that advice. I'm still learning how to. I'm definitely flopping on that frontier, but we will learn. I feel like my advice, um, I mean, for current actives, I mean, I am with y'all. I, you know, so it's weird because I, it feels like I'm almost giving advice to myself, but for also future actives, like, um, I just want to be honest, like, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing um, in this position, outside of this position, I just don't know. But I think that you can lean into that knowing. And I'm also learning how to try to lean into that not knowing and lean into that unknown and lean into it with the people you love. And that can be OJs, that can be, you know, your friends outside of OJs, that can be your family, do it all together. And in that sort of moment that is feels like it's untethered to like anything, there's gonna be a path found and we're all moving towards collective liberation and progress. And you just gotta lean into the unknown sometimes and find, find some comfort in it because as long as you do it with the people you love, it's gonna be. And I hope that one of the things that Orange Jackets can do is maybe people could write a little summary of the year because I can't remember what happened so long ago. And I wish I wish I had kept a journal <laughs> or something uh, because, you know, we didn't think about it at the time. But I, I would suggest a new tradition would be for somebody to write just some memos or, you know, what, what were the, the takeaways from that that year, the lessons learned or something that could be a, a task and, and maybe we could in include that so so that your grandchildren uh, will be able to look back and when they're orange jackets, uh, we'll be able to uh, look back and find out what was going on back when grandma was there. With that, I think we're done, but like so, so appreciative to you guys all for being here and the way that the conversation flowed was like, truly, like I was there voice. I was just like, I'm gonna, I've heard the stories before, but I was like, I'm literally gonna cry. Like, thank you for being here. It's so inspiring to be in a room with so many people who we respect so much. And like, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this process as much as we have enjoyed getting to hear your stories. Thank you for putting this together. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, big kudos to Tiana, Erica, and Taylor for bringing us all together. Hey y'all, I'm Kaylin Stewart. I'm also a part of the OJ podcast team. You may have heard my voice during our interview today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Pulp. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes on Spotify and follow our social media, TX Orange Jackets, on all platforms. Bye-bye for now.